Ephesians chapter 5, from verse 8. Those of you visiting with us, we are just walking through this little epistle, um, also known as the Queen of the Epistles. And like this funny uh, meme I've shared once, I, I think, you know, it's like the 11 top books of the Bible. Um, it is, you cannot write them because all of them are equally inspired, 10 there, and then Ephesians. Okay, <laughs> number 11 is Ephesians. It really is the queen of the epistles. It just, uh, it's one of the greatest letters in my, one of my personal favorites books of the Bible. So let's read together uh, Ephesians 5, and we'll read from verse 7. Let's read from verse 7. Hear the words of the living God. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Father, we ask you for your grace and your mercy. We ask even as we study this text that your light will shine upon us and change us, Lord. We pray, I pray for your children that you would help us to be faithful as light. We ask that you would comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. And help us, Father, to truly live as we ought to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. But one of the attributes of God that is both adored and loved, not just by believers, but also by unbelievers, is the famous statement in the Bible, God is love. 1 John 4, 8, that's where it stands. Anyone who does not love God or does not love does not know God because God is love. Everybody loves that about God because everybody loves love. Everybody loves the idea of love. And that is amazingly good news that God really is love. But what unfortunately happens in our world and what our dark world does with this is we take that beautiful thing about God and we reinterpret it into our definition of love and what we want love to be and what we want love to look like. And that's why we don't just study 1 John 4, we take the whole Bible because in the same book, the same author says this about God in 1 John 1 verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is what? Light. And in him is no darkness at all. God is not just love. God is light. God's love is holy love. It's light-giving love. It's a kind of love that helps you stop sinning. That's the kind of love we're talking about. The kind of love that doesn't ignore sin, but pays for it. Either on the cross or eternity in hell. That's the kind of loving God we're talking about. But again, how does the world interpret the idea of love, right? Love is, you must give me whatever I want. You must agree that my lifestyle, my choices, is the right one. And if you disagree, now you're no longer loving. Okay, just try that in parenting. Give your child whatever he wants or she wants. 
See if that works out for you. <laughs> Every parent, it's just, that's not love to give someone whatever they want. That's not good. And God is true love and God is holy. And that is good news as well because it means that God will sometimes put you through suffering, put you through trials because he loves you, because he wants to sanctify you to become more like Jesus. That's what love and a God that is love and a God that is light do. Now in Ephesians, when it says walk in light, we see the same pattern. Just remember verse 2. Just look up at verse 2 again. It says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Right? So we are to walk in love. We are to reflect our God of love by living a life of love. But that same chapter says in verse 8, what? Verse 8 says, walk as children of light. Walk in love, walk in light. Our love should not be defined by what we want love to be. Our love should be defined by how God defines love and what is good and what is holy. And that's what true love is. True love will also always reflect true light. You can't separate love and light from one another. And that's so now we're just going to look at how new we are in this passage. We'll see five things that are new about us as believers and what we are to walk in as light. So the first thing that is new about us is we have now a new separation. That's the first way we walk in light is we have a new separation. Look at verse 7 again. It says, Therefore do not become partners with them. Do not become partners with them. Who is the them? It's the them of verses 5 and 6. Remember the three Bible study rules? It's context, context, and context. So you can write that down if you'd like to remember it. So if you want to, who's the them? Just read above, okay? Read verse 5 that says, you may be sure of this, everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The them of verse 7 are the people that's living in sexual immor immorality, covetousness, impurity. We should be separated from them. We should not look and live like them. Now let me clarify, when we talk about separating, we're not talking about not associating with them or not talking with unbelievers because the Bible itself says we ought to associate with unbelievers. Look at 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9. Paul says, I write to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And then he says, he clarifies, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. That's not the idea. So we're not separating in such a sense that we don't talk to unbelievers, that we don't have unbelieving friends. Now, I'm not going to associate with the world. I'm, I'm, just, I'm not going to talk to those idolaters, to those sinners out there. Okay, listen to Jesus' prayer, famous prayer in John 17, same point, verse 14 and to 16. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus doesn't desire from us to be removed from the world, right? So to become a monk is not Christian, it's not our calling. I know the temptation is great. I think some of us would be glad. Like, let's just separate. Let's just be our own little Christian bubble. 
That's not good. That's not Christian. So we see that over and over again in the Bible. Don't separate from believers. You should mix. And I, to be honest, that's one of my biggest struggles as a pastor because, you know, a shepherd smells like sheep. Right? Why? Because I'm always with the sheep and I love it. Like, I, I can be like this forever. But I need to have unbelieving friends. And I hope I will move into an uh, unbelieving neighbor. I can have some neighbors that doesn't believe. But, but we need this. We need people that do not believe. We need to have those kind of interactions with, one another, with, with other people. So then what does it mean when it says do not become partners with them? What does he then mean here? And you just have to, again, look at the context. Look at verse 11. 11, I think, gives us the interpretation of this. Look at verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Do you hear what it is? Not don't talk to them, ignore them, don't have a relationship with them. No, don't take part in their works. Don't do what they do. Right? And what are these unfruitful works? We've just looked at it. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness. So the command is actually very simple. It's a simple command. Be in the world but shine as a light by avoiding the deeds of the world. That's what it means not to be partners. We should not watch pornography like the world does. We should not have sex before marriage like the world does. We should not live together before we are married like the world does. We should be separate. We should be different. Our marriages, like Brother Kanu prayed, should be a model, an example that is not like this world. If we are not different from the world, if we share in the world's sins, if we share the world's lifestyle, the Bible says we will share in the world's condemnation. If you share the world's sins, you will share the world's judgment. That's the connection of the word therefore in verse 6. When it says in verse 6, or verse 7 says therefore, and it's pointing back to verse 6 that says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Do not be deceived. Don't think you are saved, you're a Christian, if you live in unrepentant sin. If, if you can have a picture in your mind to make it clear, imagine two animals yoked together. And where the one goes, the other one goes with, right? If the one falls, the other one falls with him. And that's the idea. If you yoke yourself with the world... And the person is cast into hell, you will be dragged with the person because you were exactly like that person. You will go to hell because you were darkness. So that's the point here. Don't partner with them. Don't yoke with them. Don't be so closely associated that their sins become your sins. Be separate. That's the idea here. But that leads us to the, new, the, the second thing that is new about us. Not only do we have a new separation, we have a new identity. The reason why we are to separate is because we are not like the world. In verse 8, look at verse 8 again. It says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Notice Paul doesn't say, One time you were walking in darkness, and now you are walking in light. What does it say? At one time, you were darkness itself, but now you are light. This is who you are. This is your identity. So do you see the logic of the verse? The verse says, don't live in your sin or in the world because that's not who you are. That's the logic. Become what you are. Be what you are. That's the title of the sermon, right? 
You are new, now become that. Live it out in your life. Notice that's the same way of thinking in chapter 4, verse 17. Just turn back to chapter 4, verse 17 as well. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So be separate. Don't walk as the Gentiles do. In verse 18, it says, They are darkened in their understanding. So the point is the same. Don't walk like them because you're not like them. Jesus makes also this point in Matthew 5, verse 14 and 16 later. He says, you are the light of the world. Look at verse 16, Matthew 5, verse 16. It says, in the same way, let your light shine. You see, you are light. So what do you do? You let it shine. <laughs> Sounds like a song. <laughs> I'm not going to sing, I promise. But that's the point. Who you are should now start Coming through your deeds, your words, your actions, the way you handle or deal with relationships. And therefore, beloved, listen, this is incredibly important. One reason why you and I don't live new is because you don't believe you are new. That's important. One reason some Christians keep on falling, keep on sinning, is because they don't actually believe who they are. In Christ. Lord, how can I be light? How can I be different? I'm so weak. I'm so sinful. This is who I am. You see, the moment you take a sin or an attitude as an, as an identity to who you are, you've lost. You can't win anymore. You can't overcome because your identity is going to drive your actions. So the truth is, no, Christian, you are in Christ. You are no longer in darkness. That's who you were. Change your view about yourself. Change your view about you. You are light. You are holy. God loves you. God sees you as pure. God is not irritated with you when you sin and you come to repent and ask Him for grace and forgiveness. You are His child. You are His saint. You are his beloved, holy, pure, blameless, justified, clothed in the righteousness of his son. All by faith alone and grace alone. Nothing you did. You are new. You have a new identity, dear saint, dear Christian. We are God's poema, his work of art. We are his workmanship. God is not standing back observing. It, God doesn't save you, leave you, and then see if you can figure it out on your own. God is working constantly. He's prepared the good works you would do before you did it, before you could do it. That's how involved you, he is. The good work he began, you must finish. No? <laughs> the good work he began, he completes. From start to finish, it's grace. So you are acceptable to him. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you really trust God's word about yourself? This is so crucial because if you don't believe it, you won't live it. That's the point. Now, just to clarify something, there is a difference between what I just said to you and the world's idea of having a healthy self-esteem, right? So what does the world say? The world says, you and I must have a healthy self-esteem. Why? Based on what? 
Because you are amazing. Right? Have a healthy self-esteem. Think highly of yourself because you are actually amazing. You are great. But that's not what I'm saying. If you've been listening correct, if you've been listening carefully to me, that's not what this text says. Because there is a one phrase in verse 8 you shouldn't miss. Look at verse 8 again carefully. It says, One time you were darkness, but now you are light. What? In the Lord. You are not light in you. You're not light in yourself. You are light where? In the Lord. That's the difference between healthy self-esteem, which is unbiblical, and healthy Christ-esteem. A healthy Christ-esteem. Loving Christ. Knowing who you are in Christ. That's the difference. Because, again, beloved, don't rip this passage out of its context. Remember, the same book, Ephesians, tells us who we were before Christ. And that's not a pretty picture. That's not a good self-esteem, if you remember what it says. What are we outside of Christ? What are we before Christ? The same book says what? We are sons of disobedience. Children of wrath. Children of the devil. Slaves to sin. Slaves to our passions and the world. Without Christ, we are naked. We are blind. We are pitiable. We are without hope. Without God. Dead in our sins. Dead in our trespasses. You see, so before Christ, you have reason not to think highly of yourself. But now, in the Lord, because your sins have been washed away on the cross, because you are clothed with new garments, with a new robe of righteousness, that's no longer how God sees you. That's the key difference. There was a before and there's a now. Don't stay in the before Remember, it was costly to God to get you in the Lord. Look at chapter 1, verse 7. Just chapter 1, verse 7. It says, In Him we have redemption through His blood. To adopt you, to cleanse you, to forgive you, to make you part of the family wasn't cheap. It cost Him His very blood, the Son, He paid for the sins you've done. He's paid for your wickedness and your rebellion against Him over and over again so that you can be forgiven and clean before Him. Listen, God is a better Savior than you are at sinning. And there is more grace in God than there is sin in you. That's why you can come to Him. That's why you can believe this and believe it boldly. And even if you are not a Christian, even if you, if you, this perhaps might still be your past life, listen, the arms of the Savior is open to you. Even now, you can come to Him. You can be cleansed. You can be forgiven. You can become new through the cross. Now again, the reason that is so important, that you have to, have to, have to believe that, is that is one of the key reasons that you will start living it out. Imagine a slave that was part of, that that belonged to a very cruel and a tyrannical master. This master was abusive, this master bullied this slave around, and here comes a new master, and this master buys the slave free. He says, now you belong to me, you are mine. You no longer belong to that master. You're now mine. You're my possession. 
And imagine this slave walks down the street and, the, and he sees his old master walking down the same street. And suddenly his old master starts yelling commands. Come here, come, tie my shoes, come, do that, do this. Now because of habit, because that's what the slave was used to, he might just submit. He might say, okay, sorry, let me go, let me help, let me do, let me serve. But what would be the key to not go, to not do? Wait, that's no longer who I am. I'm done. I'm done with you. I'm done with this, this lifestyle. I'm new. I belong to a new master because I have a new life. And that's the third thing that's new about us. We have a new life in Christ. Look at verse 9. Chapter 5, verse 9. It says, For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Some translations say the fruit of the Spirit um, is found in all of these things. But I do believe our modern translations are right to say the fruit of light. But the least we can say that there won't be any fruit of light without the Spirit, right? So it's not that it's a contradiction in any sense. This is consistent. But the fruit, how will a life of light look like? Would look good. Now, good here means ethically, morally good. Good as defined by God. Good that gives, that sacrifices, that listens patiently, patiently that loves. Similarly, right, we see here um, truth, anything that's true, in opposition to lying, to flattering, to gossip. Fruit of light will be truth, will be honest, will do their work honestly, will not try, try to take shortcuts and things like that. But then lastly as well, and what is right, what is just, what is the right thing to do. Christians, this is what the life of light looks like. And that is summarized by the fruit of the Spirit, right? What is the fruit of the Spirit? It's love, a life of love, a life of joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. That should be the summary of your life. And that only happens as we behold our God. Christians become like their God when they behold their God. Their God is good. Our God is good and right and true. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Christians simply behold their God. We should be like Moses, that after he has spent extended periods of time in the presence of God on the mountain, when he came down, his face was shining. That's how you and I should be. After we've spent extended periods of time in the presence of the Lord, who is good, who is right, who is true, what will your life start looking like? The same. A life of goodness, a life of truth, a life of rightness and justice. That's why it's always such a weird contradiction when I meet Christians that have been Christians for 40 years or 50 years or I don't know how long. But they're the most mean-spirited, judgmental. Like, you haven't been, it doesn't look like you've been spending time at all in the presence of the Lord because I'm expecting you to be like Jesus and I don't see one ounce of Jesus in you. But that should be our goal. We want to become like our God, a new life. Because, like we mentioned earlier, the fourth thing that's new is we have a new master. We have a new master. Look at verse 10. Verse 10. It says, And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We're no longer trying to please ourselves, 
to please the world, to please other people. Now, our master, we are trying and aiming to please the Lord. We now, now ask questions like this, Lord, what would make you happy? What would bring a smile to your face? Notice that it says there will be some effort involved because it says try to what? Discern. That means it's going to take some mental energy. It's not going to just be um, obvious to you at times. It's going to take some effort. You're going to have to use some brain power to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. After some praying, after some searching of the scriptures, after some counsel of other beloved, of other brothers and sisters... You need to spend some holy sweat to find what is pleasing to the Lord. But we have help. Why? Because Paul says in Romans 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Step one, do not be conformed to the world. Don't be separate. Don't live like them. Step two, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by baptizing. We're Baptists, right? baptizing your brain in the Bible over and over and over again until your brain starts looking like Scripture. I think it was someone had said about John Bunyan, John Bunyan who wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress. He says, someone cut him, he would be bleeding Bible. Right? It, it's, it's like if he has a cut, it cut, doesn't blood, blood doesn't come out, it's Bible verses. <laughs> and that's how we should be. That's how we should, that's the only way we will be able to discern what is pleasing. We, we have a renewed way of thinking it almost then comes automatically after the hard work of spending time in this book so we come to scripture asking god to search our hearts to discern if there be any wicked way in us and this standard of saying what pleases the lord raises the standard of what we commonly do christians commonly do this is that a sin yes or no Right now, that's not that's not bad. That's good, but it doesn't go deep enough. It doesn't go deep enough. Rather, the real question to ask is that pleasing to the Lord? You see what a difference that makes. Something doesn't necessarily have to be sin, but by doing that, you might not be pleasing to the Lord because of various reasons. Maybe your priorities aren't right. Maybe you're just too excited or too idolatrous over that good thing you want to do. So that changes the whole mindset. Because if it's just a matter of right and wrong, you can do something that's not in itself sinful and still miss God's purpose for your life at that moment. And also why that, why that is helpful is because what is sometimes okay for one believer to do that is pleasing to the Lord, if the same, if another believer does the exact same activity, or the exact same thing, no longer pleases the Lord. It's, it's personal. It's led by the Spirit. It's as the Bible changes our thinking. And we say, okay, I thought this thing was okay, but really, it's not sin, but it's not pleasing to the Lord. And that can help you. That can really help you. We now have this aim, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9. Whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim. What are we aiming at? To please Him. That's our aim. That's our desire. We no longer aim to merely please ourselves. We're no longer self-centered. We're no longer even pragmatic. What's the best thing that works? We ask ourselves, God, is my life pleasing to you? 
Am I bringing a smile to your face? But this is where the Bible is tricky because the same Bible says we are to please other people. Okay, let me just read a few. Romans 15 verse 1 says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please, what? Whom? His neighbor. Okay, wait. Should we now please the Lord or should we please our neighbor? Which one is it now? Okay, let me give you one more. Uh, 1 Corinthians 19. Paul says, though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant of all, that I might win some of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. That I would call that kind of pleasing, right? I'm going to change my customs and the way I think and do so that I can become like the Jews. To, in order to win Jews, to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. You see the point? So what, how do we reconcile these two groups of texts? So we have, we please the Lord and we please people. And here's the connection. When we please people, we do it because we want to please the Lord. When we please people, our ultimate aim is always the Lord. So for example, husbands, love your wife. That will include a lot of pleasing. <laughs> a honey-do list. Right? Honey, would you do this? Yes. Okay, I'll do that. I'll gladly do these honey-do lists because I love my wife. I'm trying to please my wife. Wives, pleasing your husband. When he comes home, put food in his mouth. Remember that. Okay? That always satisfies a man. Okay, but, but you see, but that's not wrong. That's biblical. That's actually good pleasing because why do you do those things? Because you want to please the Lord. You know the Lord has given you your husband and your wife and your boss, and your, the people that you are walking around with, right? And we say, I want to please you in a way that's good for you. You see, that's the difference. If we just please people because we are scared of people, we're not going to please them in a way that's good for them. We're going to flatter them. We're going to lie to them. We're not going to tell them the truth. But if you say, I want to please you, like Paul says, for the Jew I became a Jew. Why? That I might win some of them. I want them to see Christ. I want them to see, when people look at my life, I want them to think, your God must be amazing that you are doing these things for me. But when those two authorities or those two groups, the Lord and people, clashes, then it's not a contest. Luke 14, Jesus makes this super clear. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Now, of course, Jesus does not mean here we should not love our parents. The Bible says, honor your father and your mother, or your wife and your husband. But what does it mean? It means when it comes to Jesus, when you put these two loves in the scales, when you put Jesus on the one side, and your husband on the other side, or your wife on the other side, or your children, or your career, or your Put anything on this side. This must look like hatred in comparison to this love. It's not even a contest. When it comes to Christ, like I'm not even going to choose. Jesus wins. He wins. But here's the irony. When you stop trying to please people and only focus on pleasing the Lord, you will do the most good to people. 
sometimes this in parenting is so happens like this when when parents wrap their whole lives around their children they actually destroy their children right but when parents wrap their lives around their marriage and around the lord they're actually ironically the best parents at the same time and that's the point when we just please the lord we automatically please people in the best way because we're pleasing people for the lord's sake so a great question for us is this, who is your master? When you wake up in the morning, who do you aim to please? Is it yourself? Is it your boss? Is it somebody in this world as the ultimate aim of your life? Was it, I want to please my master. I'm his slave. And that leads us to the last one. The last point is we have a new mission, a new mission. Look at verse 11. <clears throat> verse 11 says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Here's the mission. But instead, expose the works of darkness. See, now we start seeing how true love looks like. True love exposes the darkness. Jesus calls us to join him in being light, not just passively, but actively exposing the works of darkness now, if I'm honest with you, if the passage stopped right before then, just walk in light, walk in love, I would have, would have been happy. But now it says we have to expose the darkness. We have to have an active stance against darkness. Now I'm a bit uncomfortable. Okay, Lord, uh, I don't want to do that. Can I, can I not just love them? I just want to love people. Now I have to expose their darkness. But you see, that idea of can I not just love them shows you you don't have a biblical definition of love. Because true love will expose the darkness. That's what true love will do. So a Christian rejects this concept of live and let live. We reject that. That's not loving. We love people enough to tell them the truth. But again, let me clarify how this looks like. Because again, I'm not thinking of we should now make um, signboards and march in the street and say God hates homosexuals on the boards, right? No, that's not the idea here we are not trying to be on a witch hunt where we want to find the smallest sin in some people and the moment we find it we can't wait to just expose it to the world okay that's not what it means here but again what does it mean the context helps us and here's a few ways we expose we should expose darkness number one we expose darkness in humility in humility we expose darkness in humility. Look at verse 8. For at one time, you were darkness. <laughs> okay, You see how that humbles you? You want to expose darkness, but don't forget that you were one time exactly like the darkness you are exposing. Don't forget that you possessed the same kind of heart that would do the same kind of sins, given in the same circumstances, if God's grace did not intervene in your life. So now we're not coming to darkness. We're not coming to the world to expose it in a, yo, I'm so much better than you. Yo, I can't wait to point out your sin to you. No, we come to other, we come to other people as a fellow sinner. Listen, and I want to say that's a good way to start the conversation. I just want to say I'm a big sinner. Okay, what do you want to tell me now? <laughs> But say that, you say, listen, I know, I've been, I've, I was in the same kind of lifestyle you were before, 
And I love you. I know how it feels to live a life without God, without hope in this world. And that's why I'm here, because I love you. Someone asked J.K. Chesterton, Chesterton, sorry, this amazing question. What is wrong with the world? Now, I want, if you don't know the answer, I think some of you already know the answer, but how would you have answered that question? If someone came to you, they look at the world, they see the world's a mess and say, what's your opinion? What is wrong with this world? What would be your answer? This is what he said. I am. It's me. See, that's humility. That's humility. Because J.K. Chesterton knows the pride of his heart. He knows that unless it was for the grace of God, he would be doing the very same sins he sees in other people. Apart from the grace of God, we are just as dark. We are just as wicked. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be angry at sin. We should. When we see sin, when we see child abuse, when we see abuse of authority, we should not just passive, not feel anything about that. We should be upset. We should be angry. But we're angry mixed with compassion. At the same time of our anger, we also feel sorry and pity for those who do them because they do not know what they are doing. And we long for their salvation. We long for their repentance that they might find Christ. So that's the first way. We come, we expose darkness at least in humility. But secondly, in holiness. In humility, but also in holiness. Look at the first line of verse 11. It says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. So, you cannot expose something of which you are a part of. You can't, you can't point out sin if you are part of that sin and doing it yourself. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we don't struggle with the same kind of sins, but as a lifestyle, right? So, at the very least, we have to be that separate people. We have to separate, be separate and live differently. Because Jesus warned this. He, make, he made this warning in Matthew 7 about hip, hypocritical judging. Hypocritical ju judging. And he said, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there is the log in your eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Notice, you still have to take the speck out. Many people take this verse and say, you can't tell me, what, you can't tell me about my sin because Jesus says, judge not. No, the point is, don't judge hypocritically. Don't judge. Don't come with the, a plank in your eye and you want to correct something small. First, take out this plank. First, be separate. Walk in light. But then go back and do take out the speck. You have to still do that. So look at your own life. What sins are you doing? Where are you making excuses for your sin? Where are you saying, I'm, I'm not going to take responsibility for that. That's just who I am. First repent of that. First turn away from that sin. And even holy in small things, right? As we live holy, even in the small areas of life, that's already exposing. And I think that is what Paul had in mind with the connection in verse 12. When he says this, look at verse 11 again. It says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of the things which they do in secret. One way we expose the darkness is not to laugh at the sex joke. Or when someone 
glorify sin and responding. And that's disgusting. But sorry, I cannot find entertainment that put my, my God on a cross. Right? Just by doing nothing, just by not participating in the joke, just by not responding in the same way the world would respond to that joke is already exposing it. Sometimes very uncomfortably. <laughs> Why people hate us sometimes as well is just because we don't enjoy the things that people enjoy and they feel guilty about that. But that's exposing by being holy. Why? Because listen to love. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 6. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love refuses to find pleasure in sin because it's not loving. It's not loving for that person. It's not loving for yourself because we know sin is destructive. Sin destroys. It brings much dishonor to our Lord. But instead, instead of rejoicing at wrongdoing, love rejoices with the truth. Number three, the third way we expose is by our lives filled with good fruits. Now, this might sound very similar to the holiness, but I want to make a positive point here. In verse 13, look at verse 13. It says, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. So the way when we are by our living, by our light, it exposes the darkness. And that light is not just in the negatives. It's not just in the don't do the sin, but even our life of joy, thanksgiving, of zeal for the Lord, and the way we do our duties with excellence. There's a story of Jane Lucretia. She was a lady that was on the verge of suicide. On the verge of suicide. And listen to what happened to her. It says, Jane Lucretia was on the verge of suicide. She gazed into the dark depths of the river. For some reason, however, she looked up and saw a young plowman sitting to, uh, to work in a field on the other bank of the river. He was about her age, but quite oblivious to her and to anything but his work. Meticulous, absorbed, skilled. He displayed such a pride in his work that the newly turned furrows looked as finely executed as the paint strokes on an artist's canvas. Despite herself, Jane Lucretia was fascinated. Slowly she was drawn into this plowman's pride until admiration turned into wonder and wonder into rebuke. What was she, she doing collapsing into self-pity? How could she be now so wrapped up in herself when two small children were dependent on her? Rebuked and braced, she got up, returned to Dublin and resumed life. Saved from suicide and re reinvigorated for life by the sight of work well done. Isn't that amazing? Okay? Simply looking at how someone does their job well, excellent, meticulous, as to the Lord, was a rebuke. You sometimes think you're not witnessing, right? When you just do your job. You are. And that's encouraging to us by living a life filled with good fruits. But doing what you're doing excellently, you are exposing darkness. So here's one thing you can change immediately. Are you ready to feel guilty? Okay, Philippians 2 verse 14. Do all things without grumbling. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, Lord, all things, all, all, all things, okay, waking up for the fifth time for my baby, all things, Lord, please, not that, not that section of my life, okay, and disputing, and, but here's the thing, if we start living this impossible life, this is impossible, none of us can do this, to live without grumbling, but by the Spirit we can, and if we start doing that, look at what verse 15 says, the next verse, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine. You see how you shine? Just by not grumbling. <laughs> That's so supernatural. Everybody grumbles. But by doing, having a life filled of good fruit, you are, you are showing the character of your God and that exposes the darkness. And here's the last point, the last way. By sharing the true light of the world. By sharing the true light of the world. Look at verse 14. And this is, I think this is what Paul is doing. Subtly, he says, by our light we expose. And then suddenly he shifts to another light. Look at verse 14. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. We point, we're just the moon. We, we're not the true source of our light. We want to point away from ourselves to the source of why we are like we are, why we don't grumble and complain. Because there is the true light, the Lord Jesus himself. John 8 verse 12, he himself said, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. People don't ultimately need you. They need Jesus through you. See the difference there? They need to see a reflection of the Savior in your life, through your life, through your character, so that when people ask, why are you doing this? How can you live like this? You can point away from yourself and say, I am a sinner saved by grace. A one who has loved me first by hanging on a cross for my sins. And that's why I am like I am. And here's a summary verse. If you want one verse that summarizes this whole passage. I should have given to you this to you at the beginning. You could have gone home already. But 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5 is a summary. It says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. Okay, not self-image, self-esteem. But... Jesus Christ as Lord, that's our message, but with ourselves as your servants. We proclaim Jesus is Lord. We please our new master with our new identity, with the new life he has given us, pointing towards him, saying he is Lord, but then we lay down our lives for people, say, I'm your servant. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to lay down my life. I'm, I'm pleasing another king, a gracious king who hung on the cross for our sins. Now, what effect will that have if we separate from the world, if we embrace our new identity, if we start living holy and humble lives, pointing to the Savior, what will God do? Notice what Paul says in verse 13. He says this, For anything that becomes visible, meaning the darkness is now exposed, then it says something strange, is light. What has happened to the darkness? It became light. It has been transformed. You see, because if you shine a light on something, it doesn't change that thing. If I shine like a torch, 
and I shine it on a cockroach, suddenly the cockroach doesn't transform into a butterfly, right? It just scattles, skittles, <laughs> runs, runs, runs and hides because it hates the light, right? That's our nature. If light comes into our lives, our first reaction is to flee. That's what they did with Jesus. People hate the light because their works were dark. But what happens when we give ourselves to people as their servants? We proclaim Jesus is Lord. The true light shines on people and changes them. It doesn't just expose them. It transforms them. It changes them into that very nature of light. So that they too can be like us that said, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. Only Jesus can touch a leper. We've read it as well. And not become unclean himself. Remember, anybody who touched a leper would have become unclean, had to live outside of the camp. But Jesus can touch the unclean. He can touch the unclean and make clean without himself becoming unclean. And that's our hope. Has this light shone in your heart? Has it transformed you yet? Do you have a new identity, new life, walking in holiness? And if not, repent. Put your trust in him and he will shine upon you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have not left us in our darkness. You have not abandoned us in our sin. Lord, you would have been completely just, completely righteous to, to judge us for our sins. But instead, Lord, you came, the light of the world, to first expose our sin, to expose the darkness of our hearts. But you did more than that, Lord. You transformed us. You made us new. Lord, we pray that your light will transform us, that we will be light, that we would walk in this new identity as your children and in gentleness, in love, in humility, truly expose the works of the darkness. Father, teach us how to do that. Give us wisdom where we don't know exactly what to do and how to do that. But help us as well just to live for you, to please you in every circumstance, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you.